But uh, today we're at the beginning of a new sermon series, and I am excited for it. So we're talking about Galatians. Uh, I hope that you have been going through and reading Galatians on your own. If you haven't, I would just encourage you to start doing that. Uh, I think you will gain more from Sundays uh, if you do that. And I want for you to gain as much as possible. In fact, I want for you to learn how, if you don't know how, uh, to feed yourself off of God's Word so that this is just dessert, right? This should not be your main course. This is just dessert at the beginning of your week, right? So uh, because we're Christians, we get to start with dessert, and then the rest of the week is, is just continuously feeding. Uh, but as we look at Galatians, as you see in the title, this is freedom through Christ. That's what this book is going to be about. And so uh, I, I want to give you an excerpt of what somebody else has said about Galatians, and part of the reason why I'm excited about it. Paul's epistle to the Galatians, so this is from John Phillips in one of the commentaries that I, that I like. Um, Paul's epistle to the Galatians in the Greek text runs to approximately 2,400 words, which is the length of about like what we would call a, a small pamphlet, okay? So it's not a huge letter. In it, it shows Paul's soul on fire. We catch a glimpse of Paul's wide vision, his keen logic, his biting sarcasm, his vehement indignation, his warm love, and his spiritual power. The letter has been called a rough draft for his formal and far-reaching epistle to the Romans. So if you like Romans, you ought to also like Galatians. This letter was not only aimed at silencing the Judaizers, but also was designed to define once and for all just exactly what Christianity really is. That's why I'm excited for it. And if that's not enough for you, um, a beloved older brother in Christ, Martin Luther, this is what he said about this epistle. He said, this is, quote, my epistle. <laughs> he said, I have betrothed myself to it. It is my wife. And then other people would say, this, this epistle became basically Luther's dagger to plunge into the heart of the papacy. It was his battle axe against the ceaseless war with Rome. So, why does this letter with Galatians exist? Do you know? Uh, how would you handle an attack against your own personal testimony and character? What matters to you more, your own personal testimony and character or God's glory? And also, we're going to talk about here in just a little bit, what is the gospel of Paul? Is the gospel of Paul different than the gospel of Christ? Is it different than some of the other apostles' gospels? Is it different than the gospel that we find in what we refer to as the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Well, the, uh, the text that we're going to be in this morning is the first section, Galatians 1, 1 through 5. Hopefully you're there. I certainly gave you enough time. Uh, it will be on the screen too, but let's pray before we jump into God's Word. Oh God in heaven, holy is your name. May your will be done personally in each of our own lives, just as it is perfectly carried out by the host of heaven. Give us today our daily dose of your word, for we know that we cannot live on bread alone. Forgive us, we pray, from our sins, not because of anything we have or can do, but rather because of what your Son has done. Therefore, God, also make the character of your Christ live in us, bearing witness of him to those around us and to bring 
glory that is due to you through his name. And we thank you for the victory that we have in Jesus over this life. And through his death, victory in life everlasting. We agree with Paul that without the gospel, you deserve glory for your God. Yet all the more, because of your salvation through this gospel, our hearts long to bring you praise and honor and glory forever. So, Lord God, as we come together to examine your text now this morning, we ask that you would give us clear understanding, grant us your spirit that we might apply the text to our lives. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Um, I I forgot to say this, too. Um, A couple of you have asked me if I've heard about what's going on down, uh, down in Kentucky at Asbury College. I have not been there. And so therefore, I can cast no opinion one way or the other. I think there's a couple of folks in the church who may have went down there. Um, I may or may not try to go down there. Here's how I think that we should think about it, if this makes sense. This is, this is not uh, connected with this, with this message at all, but it's just something that's in the news, so I feel like I should talk about it, okay? Here's how I think we should think about it. If the Bible is being preached, if repentance is happening if worship is going on, then we ought to pray that that would continue for as long as it possibly can. We also ought to pray that if real life change, if real salvations are taking place, that the fruit of that would continue. That's all I have to say about it. Is it a revival? I don't know. I I hope so, right? I hope so, and I hope it spills out to the rest of America. Amen? Uh, is, is it too early for us to call us that? I don't know. I guess it all depends on how you refer to a revival. Is everything that's going on down there something that I might want to sign off on? I don't know. I haven't been there. And by the way, I think it's a little dangerous for us to make that call. We are told in Scripture to test things by the Spirit, right? So we're not to make snap judgments based on what we see on Fox or CBS or whatever your news outlet is. We are to test the Spirit, okay? And also, we're told in Scripture we're not to attribute anything to Satan that's actually attributed to the Holy Spirit. So I can tell you this, I'm not going to put myself in place to judge what's happening, but I will test it through the Spirit. I will watch. I will prayerfully wait. I will, I will see how history plays out, and I believe that God will give wisdom Uh, to his church and to his people as this thing happens. So that's all I can say about that, okay? Uh, But I would encourage you to pray for it. I would encourage you to pray that it is true and real and that the fruit of the Spirit is happening and real salvations are happening and God's kingdom is being built and people are being released from sin and from bondage and from all those things, just like you should pray that for here on Sunday, just like you should pray that for uh, First Baptist on Sunday, just like you should pray that for uh, whatever other church around that they're preaching the word, that real repentance and real worship is happening and all those kind of things. We can say that about any church across America at any time and this thing down in Asbury is absolutely no different. That's, that's all I can say. Okay, back to our regular scheduled programming, okay? Uh, here's what I wanted to do with you. It didn't work for my tablet. Uh, so for those of you who are online, sorry, join us in person. Uh, here's what I'm, I'm going to try to do with you. Uh, as we go through Galatians, I'm going to see if my tablet will do this next time. Uh, I don't know. And then maybe we'll scrap it until it does. Okay, here's the text. Here's some things I want to... Now, this is your turn to shout out. If you're, if you're a vocal person, uh, welcome to the game. 
If you're not, then, you know, this is just going to be awkward for everybody. I'll fill in. I don't care about awkwardness. Are you ready? Okay, so here it goes. Uh, who wrote this apostle or this uh, letter? Anybody know? Anybody guess? You're right. You know, I'm going to help you guys out because I love you. So Paul wrote this. Uh, who is Paul? What is Paul? Right, absolutely. Now here's the big question. Who did Paul write this to? Can anybody tell me? There you go, to the churches of Galatia, right? So not just one church, multiple churches in the area of Galatia, right? Okay, uh, modern day Turkey kind of area, okay? He's writing to them about something. He says he's an apostle, right? So Paul, that's who it is, what he is. And where did he get his apostleship? There it is, right there, through Jesus Christ and God the Father. And, 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 and what's the purpose of him naming Jesus Christ and God the Father? What did, what did they do together? Well, they raised him from the dead. Whom? Well, Jesus Christ, right? Now, what I wanted to do on my tablet was I was going to draw these little arrows to things and underline things and have you guys see that real time, which I think is super fancy. So we're going to try to do that next week. We'll see. That's something maybe you can pray for that that works. I don't know if that's a me issue or a technology issue. Uh, and, and then also, he, he gives us little, this, this little... Uh, thing too. He, he says, there are others. So this is, you, you know, I don't know if you, you see these little marks there, but that's because this is, uh, you know what I just did with, with, uh, with Asbury. Now, Paul is obviously much more intelligent and gifted than I am. And so this is, this is a side note. That's why it has those little things there, but it's not really a side note when you read the rest of the book of Galatians. So he's, he's starting his letter for a purpose in the way that he does it. And we're going we're gonna to tease this out here in just a minute. So st stick with me. And then he says, and there are others who are with me, right? Okay. So what is he asking? What is he praying? What is he uh, communicating to them that he wants for them to have? Yes. Who's that from? Where does that come from? Yeah. And through the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's putting God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ together. That uh, A lot of scholars say this is a first point in the Trinity that we're giving there. And then what did Jesus do for us to have this? Yes. He gave himself for our sins. To do what? Why did he do that? What's the, what's the outcome of that? Yes. Yes to deliver us from the present evil age and to give us life for the age to come, right? And was this a secret to Jesus? Was this outside of what God had planned? Was this a mystery for him? No, what does it say? According to the will of God the Father. And then he ends with some praise just like we will and all God's children said, amen. amen. Okay, so that's the text. Why am I doing this? Because I told you if you were at a... At a uh, at a congregational meeting that I wanted to involve you a little bit more. And also, I think this is important because to some degree, it teaches you how to read the Bible and how to really get the most out of it. Not that I'm like the best Bible reader around. Not, I, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just, this is how we should read the Bible. We should ask questions as we're reading the Bible because I, I don't know about you, but when I read the Bible, I have questions. And so I ask them, and then I pray for those. Sometimes I write them down. Sometimes I write in the, the margins of my Bible. So I asked you this question earlier. What in the world? Why is the book of Galatians, why did he write it, right? Now, he gave us some of this. But the background that you may or may not know is the reason that he is writing this is because there is an attack going on. The reason for this letter is an attack. And this should matter because, I don't know if you know this, Christians are under attack today. 
Now, we might not feel it always in our everyday life. We may not feel it always at our work. We may not feel it in, always in our family. But rest assured, brother or sister, that the church, Christians, are under attack. And so this is an important letter for us maybe too. So firstly, what we're going to see here is what I said here, uh, or what you see on the screen, I didn't say it yet, but there is an attack on Paul, okay? There's three parts to this attack on Paul, and I get that all from uh, Galatians 1.1, which is not going to be on your screen anymore. Hopefully, you've got a copy of God's Word that's open. If not, if you're a note taker, you can write that down. You can check that later. We did just go over that, so hopefully you can remember what it said in general. Uh, but so this attack on Paul, the first part of this attack is on his very person himself, who is Paul? Well, his name originally was Saul, right? Now, what comes to your mind when I say Saul? Who do you think he might have been named after? Any guesses? King Saul. You're, you're absolutely right. I, I mean, I would have to imagine that's the case myself. Uh, he says uh, that uh, we know, I, he doesn't say this, but uh, we know that King Saul was this large, powerful, stately first king of Israel, right? So it is a name that would be held in honor and respect and that, that Jewish parents would probably give their kids. Just like today, you know, Christian parents give their kids Christian names, generally speaking, right? Uh, not, not always, and I'm not saying you have to. That's not the proof of your Christianity. But, uh, but, but a lot of times, we, we do that. We give our kids biblical names because we want to honor God's word, and we want to honor those folks that we're naming them after. And so no different here. Saul was his name. We also know that Saul was a man of great intellect and education, that he studied under Gamaliel, who was a, a very famous rabbi in his day. If you didn't know that, now you do. Uh, so uh, Paul, uh, Saul was a man of great education, and he practiced religion. In fact, he tells us that. Philippians, if you're a note taker, you can write this down. Philippians 3, 4 through 7. He says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if, any, if, if anyone else thinks that he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more, says Saul, Paul. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, basically what he's saying. So basically, a Christian among Christians, right? I studied at Oxford University. I you know, was, was baptized in the River Jordan. I, you know, I, all those kind of things. I make my own wine for the communion, and I bake my own bread. These are the kind of things that he would say for this, right, as, and, uh, as, I'm, as I'm kind of teasing uh, Paul a little bit, but, 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 but it's okay because Paul's teasing them, and that's why he's saying this, okay? So he's, I'm a Hebrew above Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. I bet you didn't know that about him, or maybe you forgot it. So he was very, very serious about his religious practices. He says, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, and as to righteousness, I think this is the biggest one, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. So why do I cover that first? Because who does he say he is at the beginning of this letter? Does he say Saul, an apostle? No, 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 he says Paul. I don't know if you know this. Paul, the name Paul, literally means little or small. It's interesting, isn't it? Now, there's a historian that writes about Paul. Now, we didn't have photographs back then. Nobody was making paintings of Paul or anything like that. But we have a physical description, and this is what it says. It says that he was a man of small stature with a bald head and crooked legs in a good state of body with eyebrows meeting and a nose somewhat hooked, full of friendliness, 
For now he appeared like a man, and now he had the face of an angel. So he didn't sound like any kind of Adonis. It says he was small in stature, so it's interesting to me. But also, he goes by Paul because on the road to Damascus, that's the name that Jesus gave him. That's his new name. What Paul is doing every time... Now, now, now think about this, too. If you were to have a painting in your house and, or, and it was signed by Rembrandt, it would mean something. If you were to find some music in your grandmother's attic and it was signed by Mozart, that would mean something, right? If a guy by the last name Rockefeller wrote a check, that would mean something, right? So what Paul is doing, even in penning his name on this letter to the Galatians, he is making a personal proclamation of the old that has died, the new that has come, and where his faith and his hope and his joy and his peace and anything else that goes. And so this is why this is important. They're attacking the person, and Paul is saying, I'm a new person. Does this make sense? Are you seeing this now in the text, I hope? 2 Corinthians 12, 10, you're probably familiar with this, but this is what Paul says, and it makes sense with his name and who he is. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And that's why he introduces himself as the little apostle. He has no pride in his previous achievements. Remember, we just read Philippians 3, and we ended at 7. So Philippians 3, verse 8 says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. So all those things he was just talking about, remember he's being facetious with them. So the second attack, though, that they're giving is not only his, per, his person, but his position. Remember it says Paul and apostle. And the things that they are saying about this is basically this. Well, he's, he's a latecomer to the whole game. He's not an apostle. We all know Jesus had his own apostles, and this guy isn't named uh, among them. What you may not know is this word apostle already had a history before it was uh, Christianized, right? So there's words that are out there that people would use uh, in general, and then you know Christ came on the scene, and then it got adopted into church, and it became kind of part of the Christian vernacular, and so it, the old meaning has went away, and now we only know it as the, the Christian meaning. Um, but this word apostle, its history was, was basically this. It, it, it meant to send or to dispatch, and so it was literally part of an envoy or an ambassador who would be sent in the service of another. So if you think about that, apostle, being an apostle, potentially could be something that all of us could claim because we're being sent, but before you stone me, the office of apostleship is not repeatable. In Christianity, apostleship is a special class of person that is not repeatable today. Firstly, they must be personally chosen by Jesus, called and commissioned by Jesus. Again, this is why Paul signs his letters Paul and not Saul, because on the road to Damascus, he was personally commissioned by the resurrected Christ. This is one of the things that he was being attacked over. And it's no different. People have attacked positions today. They attack the person. They attack the position. Some radical views of apostleship today is, one, the, uh, the I don't know what you would call it. Uh, it's just a radical view. That the, is the first century witnesses for Christ, these apostles, 
were, were merely that. They were just first, first century witnesses. And therefore, we are, what are we, 22nd, 21st century? Some century. We're 2023 witnesses. And so therefore, like, we're apostles too, right? Well, that's a misrepresentation of, of what in the text it calls these to be. A Roman Catholic view, which you may be more familiar with, is that these are church men, and so therefore anyone who is a church man is also an apostle, hence the papacy, hence why Luther used this as a dagger against the papacy. So I digress. My point is simply this. The church and the gospel was under attack, and they attacked that through the person, through the position, and also in that first verse there, through the power that Paul, this little apostle, was claiming. And he says that this power that he has, his message is not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Again, in his name as Paul and not Saul, he is attributing everything to the gospel. He is delighting in a person, not a position. He is not saying, you need to listen to me because I'm the pastor. He's not saying that. He's not saying, you need to listen to me because I've been a Christian for 20 years. He's not saying, you need to listen to me because I have a great education from Gamaliel and I'm really educated in Scripture. He's not saying that. What he's saying is, I have been personally chosen. I have been, I have been redeemed and renewed and restored. The old man is gone. I now live as this man. And I have been called and commissioned by the living Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that which I have given you is not my own, it is of him. And so you see where this attack is a, is a huge attack. So this letter, remember we said this letter is written because of an attack. And this, the attack, the stakes of this attack is really his message. His message is the gospel of grace. So Galatians, so let's recap. Galatians is written in response to an attack against the very gospel of Christ. Seems like maybe it's an important letter. So, verse 4, that's where we're at now, okay? I'm going to put this up for you, and here's the reason why. I'm going to explain that in just a minute. This gospel of grace, in this section of text, I think has four parts we're going to cover those four parts, and then the last thing we're going to do is, I hope, apply this to your life today. Are you following me? So here's the gospel of grace. Who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God, of our God and Father. Okay? Now, that's, this is the crux of it. You, you, you could go back, and you should go back because it's in context, so don't just rip verses out of context, but... Verses 1 through 3, through Jesus Christ, God the Father, who raised him from the dead, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God the Father. You ready? Here's how, where I see the four parts of this gospel of grace that Paul is seeking to defend that he's going to flesh out for the rest of this book of Galatians that we're going to go through as we go through it. You ready? The first is this. This is simple grace. What do I mean by that? I mean... Christ died for your sin. We don't, we can't earn it. We can't do it over. What I mean by simple is, is not that it's not weighty. 
It's absolutely weighty. What I mean by simple is Christ has done it. It's, it's in him. It's over. It's finished. He is victorious. That's the end of it. It's simple in that what does it require of us? Faith. To trust in that. To, all it requires of us is very simple. For me to put my, my trust in Christ and not myself. This is a simple grace. Martin Luther, again, comments that these words are the very thunderclaps from heaven against all kinds of righteousness. That is, all forms of self-righteousness. Once we have seen that Christ gave himself for our sins, we realize that we are sinners unable to save ourselves, and we give up trusting in ourselves that we are righteous at all. You see, the rest of this letter that he's written hinges upon the loss of this truth, of this gospel of grace, of this gospel of simple grace. This is not only, this gospel of grace is not only a display of love, although it is that. It is not only an example of heroism, although it is that. This gospel of grace is a sacrifice for sin. It does away with circumcision, food laws, special dates and days, cleanness rituals. It makes all that obsolete, and the Judaizers are seeking to make it Christ plus. Sometimes churches make it Christ plus, right? You have to be saved by Jesus, but then also you have to do these certain things. No, this is a simple grace. Secondly of this, it is a saving grace. We already talked about that, but I want to press that point a little more. This is a rescue from the present evil age and a rescue from eternal judgment. Do you know that Christianity is a rescue religion? It's a rescue relationship? Do you know that all of, crea- all of Christianity can be illustrated in a toddler reaching for their parent? Because that's all we bring to the table. And the good news of the gospel is that our God is there when our hands are outstretched and lifted up and we recognize that we need saving, that our God is there to pick us up and receive us. So the other part that we need to see from here is is what Paul is going to talk about that I want to press now, and you can, you can see this revealed throughout Galatians as you study it and as we, as we go through it. We are delivered from our sins, absolutely, but we're not sinless yet. We are perfect in Christ, but not perfected yet. And so we live in this already, not yet. If you are in Christ, right? If we are in Christ today, you are no more saved today. So for example, in 2007, when I became a Christian, I am no more saved today than I was in 2007. I was not a pastor then, right? I had not been to seminary then. But that doesn't, I'm not any more saved today. By God's grace, because of the Spirit in me, I am more sanctified than I was then. And should the Lord tarry and should he bless me with a longer life, I hope to be more sanctified next year and the year after that and the year after that. 
But we are in an already not yet. You see, after Jesus died and was buried and was resurrected, it says that he sat down at the right hand of his father waiting for his enemies to be made a footstool. He is already victorious, and yet he is not altogether lording that over all of creation. And the only reason is because he is patient with people such as ourselves and others who have yet to come to this salvation. But this current world is passing away. So this grace is simple, it's saving, it is also sovereign as we see in the text because this is according to the will of God. It was always part of the plan. It was his plan from the beginning. I had somebody ask me uh, last week about uh, the garden and about Satan being in the garden and allowing sin. And, and, you know, brother or sister, if that's ever anything that you've thought about, I mean, I, I struggle with that too. Like, God, you're so wise and you're so knowing and you're so loving and you're so good and you're so powerful. Like, why did you even, why did you even make the tree, man? Or, or, or why did you even create Satan if you knew he was going to fall? And the best answer I can give to that is because the maximizing factor of God's glory is twofold. One, to allow us the freedom to choose love or not, right? It's not, if I build a robot and that robot loves me, that's not love. I've programmed it and I'm a creep, okay? And so is the robot, right? Because uh, that's not love. It has no other functionality. But if I give someone the choice to love me or not, and then they choose to love me, then that's real love, right? So not only that, but also it is of greater glory to God to humble himself and empty himself of all of his glory in heaven, to take on the form of one of his creatures that he created, to then die and atone for their sin, taking their sin upon himself. And then because he's guiltless and sinless, he, he's raised from the dead as a victorious sacrifice to cover that. That is more glorious for God than it is to just make a bunch of robots who are incapable of any choice other than loving him. And so because of those two things, this is sovereign grace. This has always been his plan from the beginning. Satan thought he was really up to something. And meanwhile, God was like, right into my plan, bro. So this is both, both part of his plan, our rescue, as well as the method of the rescuing. His sovereign grace is voluntary as well as exhaustive. This is not, as some people will say, cosmic child abuse. That Jesus somehow unwilling to die, unwilling to do this because of the power of God, he is pinned against the cross by a, by a, a wrathful judging God and he has no choice but to take the cross. That is not how it went at all. Jesus said, I have the power to lay my life down and to take it up again. And he knew and he told his apostles, it is better for you that I go. You think this is something that Jesus didn't want to do for you? This is not cosmic child abuse. Christ chose this. This grace is sovereign. Lastly, this grace is sufficient. Amen? He says here in the text, grace and peace to you. There is no grace without peace. What I mean by that is an angry God has to be placated. And also there is no peace without grace. This is peace with God, vertical. This is peace with men, horizontal. This is peace with myself, internal. This is sufficient grace. 
This grace is sufficient for your relationship with God. This grace is sufficient with your relationship with other sinful humans. Brother, sister, this grace is sufficient for you to lay your burdens of guilt and shame and sorrow and regret. It's sufficient for you to be able to forgive those who have wounded you deeply and wrongly and evilly, and you can bring that to the cross, and the grace that God gives is sufficient for you. And it's sufficient not only in this life, but for the life to come because of all these other things that we're talking about. So Paul, as he's writing this, this letter to Galatians, right? Remember I said, this letter is written because of an attack. The stakes of this attack is actually the message of the gospel. Paul is writing then in defense, not of himself, although you will see that in the text. And he uses, like we talked about, his sarcasm and, and all those other things. So, but he's writing, Paul's defense is of the glory of God. That's why this letter is here. Our only hope is in this glorious gospel of grace. So I want to end with the praise of a people. That's what his hope is. That's how we should apply this to ourselves today, right? Because Christians are still under attack. This gospel is still under attack. So how are we to engage with that? Well, I want to show you three things that I think should bring us to be a, a praising people because of this glorious gospel of God's grace. If you don't know them already, you will now. Now, in my notes, I've added some things here that aren't up on the screen. It's inconsequential to you unless you're a type A OCD person. It's really going to aggravate you. And for you, then I'm just, I'm sorry. Um, so verse 5, Galatians 1.5, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. That's how he ends this section. That's how we're going to end our sermon today. The first thing is the power that he provides. This God has raised Jesus from the dead. Do you know what that means? That he has power to raise you from the dead. Amen? That he gives life and new life. That he gives life and life in abundance. That's why Jesus came, right? That's what he said. That they would have life and life in abundance. Our God is a God of power. And I think, Christians, so often we forget that. So often we eeyore our way through life where we, oh, woe is me. And you know what? There are some really bad things and I'm not taking anything away from any of the pain and any of the suffering, anything that you go through. But what I am here to tell you is our God is a God of power. And you can go to that God of power and you can seek that God of power. And he has said that those who ask, those who seek, those who knock, they will find. And so I want to encourage you, our gospel of God's grace is a gospel of power. It's a gospel of new life, of recreated life, of overcoming sin and temptation and Satan, and yes, even death. And that's why Paul's writing this. He is, <coughs> he is afraid, not, not trusting God, but he is in deep distress that these Galatians are going to forget the power that they have in the resurrected Christ. And that's why we need to herald it as well. But not only is it a praise of the people for because of God's power he provides, but of the promise he gives. We have a future and a hope. Did you know every other faith tradition out there at the end of the life, leaves people in the maybe? Was I good enough? Did I do enough? Did I travel enough? Did I witness enough? Did I you know, give enough? Did I whatever? All those other enoughs. Christianity is the one that says, it is finished. 
John, in his gospel, says, I have written this so that you may believe, so that you may know, so that you know that you are saved. It says in, in, in Romans and in other places, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus was raised from the dead, you put your faith in him, you will be saved. It's not a maybe religion. It is a promise. It is a promise relationship. He has said that you are children of God. And Paul in here writes, this is a future and this is a hope with all the brothers with me and all the churches in Galatia. And he's writing that to us today too. This wasn't just a promise for them, just a promise for Paul. This is a promise for us. This is a promise for you, for your children, for your children's children, for your children's children's children, for your, you get the idea, right? This is a promise that never runs out and never runs dry. For all those who would believe in him will be saved. And so lastly, I hope that this is the case, that it brings a passion that we should show for God's glory forever and ever, amen? Amen, right? I mean, for all of eternity, we will praise him. And he is worthy of that praise. For all of his glory, we will proclaim. And boy, is there enough glory to go around. Philippians 2, 11 says, Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So in closing, the reason for this letter was an attack. The attack is against the message that Paul is proclaiming. The message that he is proclaiming is the gospel of Christ, the good news of Christ crucified for the forgiveness of sins, and that that is all that it takes, belief in him, hope, future, grace, peace, right? Paul's defense is ultimately not for himself as the little apostle. His defense is for the glory of God and for the gospel of which he is proclaiming. And this glorious gospel, brothers and sisters, are why we're here. This is why we read God's word. This is why we sing songs. This is, this is why we exist, for this glorious gospel of God. So this letter, written in AD 48 through 45, somewhere in there, addressed to this, this uh, present-day Turkey, these Galatians, is equally as relevant for us today as this gospel is still under attack, as God's people are still under attack. And I hope that as we go through Galatians, not only from what we've talked about today, but through the rest of when we go through Galatians, gives you a great hope and grace and peace in understanding what that gospel is, what Christianity is, and how we can stand on that future hope and also, if need be, defend it with the words of God. Let's pray. God, our Father in heaven, we do thank you for Apostle Paul. We thank you for his message of grace. We thank you for this gospel of your son, your glory that that saves. God, we ask that you would help us apply this to our lives and we would be renewed and refreshed and encouraged just like Paul wants for these Galatians that we too would be reveling in the love that you have for us. You've told us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, that he's adopted us into his family as children of the most high God, that he provides for us an inheritance. Lord, we praise you and thank you for that. Let us never forget this gospel of grace. It's in your name we pray, amen.